Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 261 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a technologist, consultant, researcher, entrepreneur, and instructor with experience across telecommunications, transportation, government, and utilities. He is an author of numerous books and articles, as well as a frequent contributor to the IEEE's Engineering Management Review. He is also founding chair for the Atlanta chapter of the IEEE Technology and Engineering Management Society. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, David Bishop. Thank you, Phil, for having me. David, so I really want to sort of delve maybe a little bit more into your background, because obviously being a technologist, consultant, researcher, entrepreneur, and instructor, as much as being a mouthful, is rather a lot of things that you cover. Right. So could you... Yeah, maybe give us maybe a bit of an insight into how those things all come together. Sure. Uh, I've uh, worked in the technology industry now for about 25 years and started out as a uh, developer and and systems engineer that I, for many years, uh, working in e-commerce and telecom and uh, transportation and moved into more or less management. And then it's uh, a few years ago, I had a, a bit of a career change where I wanted to move more into the business aspects of information technology. I wanted to try and affect uh, a greater impact uh, with technology. And in, in, in other words, I felt like a lot of, there were a lot of uh, quality problems with technology and a lot of uh, management decisions that I thought needed to be done better. So as a, as a developer and engineer, I thought that, uh, hey, you know, I think I can do a better job than some of my managers with solving some nice. of these problems. So... I set about trying to figure out ways to do that. And so right. I had a career change at that time. Okay. And obviously you got a significant involvement with the IEEE as well. So how did that come about? Well, I, uh, I've been involved with the IEEE probably since I graduated college because it was a very important part of my college career uh, at Georgia Tech. Many of us as engineers, as computer engineers or electrical engineers, we were members of IEEE, but then I sort of fell off for many years. But uh, in the last uh, 10 years or so, I got re-engaged with them, particularly with respect to their Technology Engineering and Management Society and also the Power and Energy Societies, which had a a big impact. Uh, There were a lot of relationships with what I was working on at the time with uh, better management techniques, agile transformation, DevOps transformation, and also uh, smart energy and smart grid technologies to the Power and Energy Society. So about 10 years ago, I got re-engaged with them. It's been an excellent chance for me to get in contact with people with common interests. Yeah. And obviously, um, part of that is, is being the founding chair for the Atlanta chapter as well. So what does that chapter actually do and how does it work? Ah, oh, Well, the Technology Engineering and Management Society as a whole is a, is a relatively new society within IEEE. And what they're focused on is topics like innovation, technological innovation, project management, program management, uh, technology management, you know, the adoption of new technologies, the adaptation of new management techniques into corporations, and also helping people with their careers. That's a big part of it as well. Uh, the Tim Society is really big about helping people figure out, you know, how to navigate uh, 
the complexities of uh, today's IT business and how to figure out which part of that business you want to focus on for your career and how to advance yourself, how to grow your your skill sets and what skill sets are in the greatest demand. And so what I did here in Atlanta was I established a chapter here because we didn't have one. We meet uh, about uh, three or four times a year and we have uh, about uh, 50 members, probably about 60 members now, uh, which is a pretty good size. It's a relatively new chapter. And uh, we, we have a lot of, we usually bring in guest speakers where we talk about, uh, you know, new management techniques or, career advice. We have networking sessions where you can meet other people in the industry. We also bring in uh, you know, speakers that, that come to talk about new technologies like AI or uh, blockchain, things like that. You know, the, these uh, technological trends that people are trying to get up to speed on, whether it's blockchain or AI or IoT, there's always people out there that are trying to learn more about these technologies because they see these becoming more important in their companies and they want to try and advance their skill set and so that's a good way to do it too is yes getting involved in chapters. okay and presumably there, there are other chapters as well obviously you say it's quite a new a new thing there are other chapters around well, obviously in the u.s but around the world as well yes absolutely so david can you tell us maybe a career tip one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be i would say manager manager i think that's very important your manager is your gatekeeper your manager is going to, uh, in many ways, set the expectation for you and your performance. They're also going to manage the perception of you and your performance with other people in the company, especially upper management. So it's very important to closely manage your relationship with your boss. Uh, I see many people that are that neglect that too much, especially in our industry. It's very important to stay in contact with your boss every day. Have a meeting at least every day, even if it's just a short conversation. You know, what are you doing? How things are going? What are you working on? Always do that. I think it's a great thing to do. It's a good habit to establish because if you spend too much time sitting in your cubicle, not really communicating with your boss, sometimes you leave uh, the door open for other people to step in between you and your boss and try to manage that, that expectation for you. And that is not going to be a good thing. So I think managing your manager is very important. I think you're right. I think it is. And also, I think sort of, sort of part of that is establishing and building that relationship that you have with your manager as well. So being able to have that open communication, as you say, on a regular basis, daily, if, if possible, is, is a great thing to, to be able to put in place. Yeah, and it's important to be very proactive about it. You know, some, some managers, you know, they're hard to get a hold of or they're not available or they're always busy, always in meetings. So a lot of times, I think a lot of people will step back and say, well, I don't want to bother my boss. I don't want to interrupt them. I don't want to get in their way. They're so busy. They're not available. But typically, it's always welcome if you do it. And you need to always try. Always try to build that relationship and always be proactive about it. Um, And I suppose the other point about it, obviously, right now, we're in a very different world where people are working remotely a lot. And presumably, from my own expectation is that that communication is is probably even more important now because you don't necessarily have that visual contact right yes okay david can you share with us your worst it career moment and what you know what you learned from that experience i would say that was probably uh in my early 30s i had the chance to become the chief of staff 
for the CIO of a very large uh, telecom that I worked for at the time. I won't mention the name of the company, but it was a very big company, huge telecommunications company. And I was in line to be the chief of staff for the CIO, which was a potentially life-changing job for me. And I had passed all of the several interviews I'd gone through already with with human resources and, and with the, the current chief of staff. And I got the impression that I was probably the top candidate because the interviews were going really well. And then it came time for me to sit down with the big guy himself. And, you know, it was very intimidating for me. It was a you know huge office. And we sat down on the couch and we had a conversation and I was focused on technology and I was trying to impress him with my technical expertise and my knowledge. And I had read all these articles uh, uh, that he had published and, and, and watched some of the talks that he had done and tried to talk about the kinds of technology issues that I thought would resonate with him. And, you know, I went on for a little bit and then he started asking me questions about, uh, well, you know, why, why do you want to be here? You know, what do you expect to get out of this job? Why do you want this job? And, uh, you know, I would frame my responses in terms of technology. Well, you know, I want to learn more about tech. I want to have a hand in selecting new technologies and, and be on top of the uh, innovation stuff that we're doing here. And uh, I don't think that's what he wanted to hear. <laughs> and and <laughs> right. so I, you know, he, he, he gracefully uh, grabbed me up by the arm and escorted me out of the room and said, you know, I think uh, we, we certainly have a, a, a strong need for people like you with your skills and so-and-so. And he referred me to somebody else. And of course, nothing ever came of that. But what I got out of that whole conversation was that it was, that it's not about uh, the technology. It's about the business. Yeah. And that's very important. You have to, technology is cool. Technology is exciting. But at the end of the day, it's all about the business that's using the technology. And you have to be able to put technology in business terms. You know, if you want to convince someone to adopt a certain technology, you have to be able to build a, a proper business case that puts the reasoning in, in dollars and cents. You know, why do we need to adopt this technology? Why is it important? How is it going to impact the bottom line? And so I was very ignorant of the business aspects back at that time. And that was a big, a big learning experience for me and a hard pill to swallow because I was so passionate about technology at the time. And of course, technology is still a part of my life. But I realized at the time that uh, I needed to sharpen the business side of my skill set. So I went back to school and got my got an MBA and then got uh, a PhD in business and, and changed my career focus uh, quite a bit based on that experience. Right. That, that's interesting to hear. That's quite a significant step to take as a result of that experience. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> I realized <laughs> that if I really wanted to go where I wanted to go in this business and advance myself, I had to add that to my toolbox. Yeah. I think it applies as well. Obviously, you were going quite a, quite a senior level, but that, that to me now, probably more so, that applies to almost any any level or role that you look at uh, or you're considering taking. That When you do go to an interview, you've got to consider – that the reason they're they're looking for somebody is to help them solve a problem and to benefit the business, not necessarily about you learning new skills or applying your your specific skills technology wise. It's all about what the business needs at the end of the day and how they bring in bring in income and, and make money. Absolutely, not, it's not just technology for technology's sake. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So moving away from your worst moment, can you tell us a little bit about your career highlight to date? I would have to say that uh, working for myself, going off on my own, starting my own business is probably the biggest uh, career highlight in, in recent years that's most important to me. Being able to do that is the ultimate expression of success in this business, if I may say so. I just feel like 
being able to work for yourself in the IT business, it forces you to exercise all your muscles, all your intellectual muscles and, and muscles that you probably don't have. Uh, you have to be a marketing person, a salesperson. You have to be a, an innovator. You have to be an inventor. You have to be a developer, tester, manager, everything. It forces you to wear all these hats. But it also, I think, makes you a much stronger person and a much, it takes your expertise to another level that you're just not going to get working for a, a big corporation. That's right. I mean, you're absolutely right. So in terms of obviously wearing all those different hats, um, what did you find was the most difficult to learn, given you came from quite a technical background? I'd say sales. You know, sales uh, can be tough. Uh, yeah. and, and sales is not easy. You know, sales is, uh, you have to be uh, persistent and you, you uh, have to be positive. You have to be a, a, an optimist all the time <laughs> and uh, you have to keep trying. You know, you just keep knocking on doors and uh, no matter how many doors get slammed in your face, uh, you have to keep knocking on more. And of course, if you're doing B2B sales, which many of us are, if you're going to be in the IT business on your own, B2B sales cycles tend to be very long. Uh, It may take several months to close a deal. So being able to stay in the game long enough to get those deals in and to establish that sales funnel and knowing how to do that and learning how to do it right, it took a while. So it sounds like a real combination of things like patience and tenacity and persistence. That's right. David, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the industry and careers in IT in particular? Well, I'd say, I don't want to sound cliche, but I'd say because it's everywhere. And it really is when you think about it. I mean, compared to, you know, 20, 25 years ago when it was all about e-commerce and the internet, which was great. But today it's just IT is everywhere. You have smartphones, smart meters, smart cars, smart devices, smart electric grids, smart homes, smart cities. IT is everywhere. It's integrated into every aspect of our life. And because of that, the stakes are a lot higher because, you know, 20, 25 years ago, if there was an IT failure, there'd be maybe some money lost or maybe a website was down or maybe it'd be an inconvenience. But today, you know, if there's a uh, like we saw with like the Boeing 737 Max, if there's a failure with the technology on that aircraft, then people can die. If if there's a failure in in technology with uh, credit reporting companies like Equifax or or banks or financial companies like Capital One, which we've seen in recent years, it can affect our economy. It can affect uh, your personal credit. It can affect your financial security. So the stakes are so much higher today than they used to be with technology and. And because of that, we require a lot more people, but also I think higher quality people are going to be required as well, higher skilled people. Uh, And so I think that makes it exciting because it's being integrated in so many different uh, aspects of life and business today. The opportunities are endless. I mean, that sounds a little cliche. We thought that 25 (laughs) years ago, but we didn't quite have the vision of it that we do today. Uh, You know, I didn't really think we were going to have self-driving cars, but here we are. So... (laughs) That's true. Um, I, I did wonder, obviously, um, with the current um, global pandemic and so forth, and obviously everybody's working in very different way and, and it's obviously very much a different world. Do you think there'll be, as a consequence of this, there'll be different opportunities and, and directions that technology may may take? Well, I think so. I think that uh, people are going to be working more remotely. Uh, of course, in technology, many of us have for a while, but I think it's going to become more accepted and more of the norm rather than, than the exception. And I think you're going to see a lot of technologies and tools that are going to pop up to try and support that. 
Uh, we're using one of them right now, but I think you're going to see even more sophistication around those types of tooling to facilitate collaboration of distributed teams and remote working. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think it will be sort of a bit of a. I think almost there was a reluctance beforehand to some, sometimes embrace some of these these things, but I think now because people are being forced into doing it, it'll become more adopted as the norm. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> go ahead. So what first attracted you to career in IT? Well, I started uh, programming computers when I was 13 years old. So it started largely when I was a kid. I started fiddling around with computers. I had a Commodore uh, VIC-20 at the time, which had 3K of memory in it. And uh, yeah. it's just I started developing my own programs back at that time, my own games and I think I won a few science fairs and things like that with some of the things that I did. So I, I kind of decided probably around, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old that I wanted to be a computer engineer. And so I, I set about that and uh, went to Georgia Tech and became a computer engineer. got a degree in that field at the time. And originally I wanted to uh, do VLSI design. I wanted to design circuits and, and circuit boards and, and, microchips and things like that. That's what really kind of attracted me. But when I graduated college in the 90s, it was all about the internet. And there was just so yeah. much excitement going on in that area. And it was just so powerful that you could, wow, it's just so easy to build a website, you know, and, and have uh, be able to have access to the entire world just by, you know, throwing up a little website that didn't take a whole lot of, of, of work to do. And it was just such a powerful technology at the time. And, and so I, I kind of moved away from the, the circuit design and chip design aspect of my career and, and focused on e-commerce and, and internet. And that's kind of how I got pulled into more or less IT, if you will, as opposed to yeah. just uh, technology in general. What is the best career advice you've ever received? First of all, I didn't get a whole lot of career advice when I, when I was young. <laughs> I, uh, I wish I had, but I think that, uh, some of the best career advice I got was uh, don't worry so much about what other people think, focus on, on yourself and what your needs are and don't worry about uh, other people's approval or validation so much. Yeah. I think that was very important. That's an advice I had actually a long time ago, but I've always stuck to that and it's always, it's always helped me. Uh, and it's always been a good piece of advice that uh, it's helped me throughout my career. It's not necessarily technical advice, but I think that's very important. Yeah, it is. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? I think the worst advice I received was uh, always go with the highest paying job when you're looking for new opportunities, you know, especially, you know, when you're just uh, getting started in this business, typically many people will jump from job to job for a while because you start out with low salary and there's a lot of opportunities and then, uh, then it kind of levels out after a few years. And so it's tempting to always go with uh, the highest paying job. I think I was told that at one point because uh, I was told that, uh, well, you know, that your, the amount of money you're paid is a reflection of your value to the company and what the company thinks of you or how much, what kind of value the company places on you, which to a certain degree is true, I believe. But I threw away an opportunity and went with another opportunity early in my career because uh, I went with the highest paying job. And even though it was the highest paying job with a big company, it uh, didn't have uh, anywhere near the advancement opportunities and growth opportunities that the other job probably would have had. 
Yeah. So I, 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 that's, that's a piece of advice that I don't use anymore. I think it's very important to try and figure out if you got multiple job offers on the table, which job really needs you and wants you the most, which one is most excited to have you and try and figure out what that advancement path is going to be for you long-term. And this is very critical for people just starting out or relatively new in their career. Yes, it is. I think I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, it's definitely a combination of factors that you need to consider, Just yeah, not just the salary. Right. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? I'd take more risk. I think I'd take a lot more risk. Uh, you know, it, back in the day when I got started in this business, you know, you were, you were sort of uh, encouraged to, to, to find a, a big job with a big company, a big secure job that you could stay at for a number of years. And uh, I was very much risk averse, you know, when it came to startup companies or companies I didn't know much about, uh, especially if they didn't pay well out of the gate. I was somewhat skeptical. But I think if I was starting out today, I would take a lot more risk. I would... Uh, would maybe if I if I had the inkling to I may try and start my own business sooner or go yeah. off on my own sooner or just uh, you know consider more startups go where the startup companies are get associated with some incubators out there and try and find out what are some of the new technologies and new companies that are getting started and see about getting involved with them because I think that uh, that has the best chances for a long term gain. I think I've seen, I've, I've watched young people who did that. And those are the people who moved up the fastest with their career or advanced the fastest with their career. The ones who took a lot of risk early on and got involved with some innovative companies or startups or technologies very early. And that was hugely beneficial to them. That's what I would do today if I had to do it all over again. Okay. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Right now I'm focusing on, on growth bluntly to, to put it bluntly, but I, I would say to put it more specifically, I'm focusing on evangelizing my metagility, metagility approach, my metagility framework that I've developed based on 10 years of research, uh, that's been actually has been patented and, and published as a book. And so I'm trying to get this, this new framework out there into the marketplace and into the, uh, the ether and, and the mindset of, of technologists and, and business leaders out there, because I think it has a great potential to help companies become leaders in their market and that's and to help innovative technologies reach the marketplace much quicker and with uh, greater levels of quality. And I think that's very important for our industry right now. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back to that in, in a little bit, actually, the metadata. So, and what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I'd say writing. I think uh, being able to communicate is very important. Some people are very good at communicating verbally. Others are better at communicating you know, through the written word. I think both are important. But I think writing is particularly important, especially for people in this business, because you have to be able to write a good business case. You have to be able to write good uh, white papers. You have to be able to write good documentation. And it's a skill that's all too often overlooked and uh, Writing has been probably the number one non-technical skill that has helped me in my career. It's helped me help me communicate myself to a larger audience uh, and help them learn more about technology and what I'm doing and what I'm all about. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? I constantly network with people. And of course, that's hard to do now uh, with COVID-19. A lot of events <laughs> have been canceled. 
But, yes. uh, you know, one way I compensate with that is by doing, you know, activities like this, but in addition to webinars and, and stuff like that. But I think constantly networking with people, getting out there and meeting people and learning about what they're doing and what they're working on and what they're passionate about helps keep me energized. And that's very important. And I, I, I'm looking forward to the day when I can get out more and we can all get out more and, and do some more of that. Uh, but yep. uh, that's, that's very important. I think constantly communicating with others uh, and networking with others is, is, is what keeps me going. Good. Okay. And obviously the next question may be a little bit more difficult given the current situation, but what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I read a lot. I have tons of books. I'm constantly buying books. Yeah, I read a lot uh, because reading makes you a better writer. If you want to learn how to write well, the first thing you need to do is read. So yeah, I'm always reading. That's very important. And always uh, working on you know new things to write about in relation to technology. And uh, also a hobby that I have is working on classic cars. So that kind of gives me some time away from focusing too much on on just work and just uh, that gives my mind a way to sort of release or relax, if you will. David, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? I spent quite a bit of time mentoring graduate level students at some of my local universities and some of the same questions always come up and it's very interesting. I get lots of questions about job interviews and how to handle job interviews and, and common problems or issues that come up with job interviews. And I also get lots of questions about networking. Well, how do I network with people and how do I go about it? And it seems like many people in our industry, especially young people, just don't know how to really do that. And so after getting hit with a lot of these questions quite a bit from, from some of the students I was mentoring, I said, you know, I've got to kind of put something together to help people because uh, I'm seeing these same questions come up. And so I put together a, a series of books called The Big Brother's Guides, and I have two books out now. One is called The Big Brother's Guide to Networking, and the other is The Big Brother's Guide to Job Interviews. They're on Amazon. But they basically encapsulate a lot of the, the lessons that I've, I've taught the students that I mentor locally. And uh, I think uh, they, they reflect a lot of the questions that uh, often come up in those conversations. And so that I think uh, learning how to uh, interview well and handle some of the common problems that can come up with job interviews and also learning how to network well with people it's critical to to starting out in this business, and uh, yeah. it's something that you just don't that you don't learn in school. It's something you don't typically learn anywhere, really. <laughs> and and so uh, I feel that uh, learning those kinds of skills is very important early on. Good. Okay. What we'll do, we'll make sure those links are on the uh, the web website. So if you go to the the page for the episode, you'll be able to find those links to those two books. And um, David, also in, in addition to those two, I wanted. To, you to maybe tell us a little bit about Metagility. That's your latest book, I believe. That's right. So Metagility is based on over 10 years of research. So as I mentioned earlier that I went back to school and got my PhD and I just, because uh, I wanted to focus more on solving business problems. And one of the big problems I saw at the time was with agile transformation and DevOps transformation, digital transformation, those types of problems. Many companies were trying to conduct this kind of transformation and just were not doing very well at all. And I thought, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I started trying to figure out, well, what are these? There's so many uh, highly paid consultants doing this kind of work. And and, and the companies that I worked for had hired some of these consultants and they still didn't do well. And I thought, well, what are these guys doing wrong? What's what's just not working here? 
of course, this has been a while ago. This has been about 10 years ago. But I decided, well, you know, everyone is kind of kind of going about solving these problems based on applying best practices that they've learned over time through a limited set of experiences. And I felt like, well, maybe that's not valid. Maybe that's just because something works at one company doesn't mean it works at another company or another situation. And so many of these consultants were taking what they had done at some other company. And when they came to like some of the case studies I worked with, they weren't successful. And one of these uh, case studies that uh, had the most trouble was uh, companies that were developing embedded systems. Uh, Most of the consultants had worked with companies who were developing only software products like e-commerce websites or stuff like that. But most of the innovation happening today, today it's not just about software, it's about devices. As I alluded to earlier, smart devices, smartphones, smart meters, everything. And these devices are composed of what we call embedded systems, where you have hardware, firmware, and software developed on different tracks, but at some point has to be released as one cohesive product. It's very hard to do in an agile way, and you have to find new ways of adopting you can't uh, conduct an agile transformation in the same way in that context as you would with a company who's just developing pure software products. And so I spent 10 years trying to figure out how best to do that. And there were a certain number of companies that managed to leverage agility to become number one in their market while developing these kinds of products using agile. And so my research encapsulates what they were doing right so that uh, other companies can replicate that success. And in addition to that, I discovered what I call a theory of agile vorticity, which came out of the research, which tells you how agile you are. It answers the question, well, I, I'm, I'm doing all this agile transformation stuff. I'm, I'm, I got my scrum teams. I have my sprints. I'm doing all these things. But how do I know if it's doing me any good? How do I know how agile I am? How do I measure agility? And the theory of agile vorticity answers that question. And that's something very new in the industry that no one has no one's really managed to crack that nut until now. And so that's a big part of what metagility is about, is it answers that question and shows you how to become more agile if you need to be. And that aspect of it has been also the subject of a U.S. patent, which makes it the only agile framework that has been patented. And so this body of research, which has been published in many journals, including IEEE, is now available as a practitioner's guide, as a book, uh, which was just released last year. And and, and it's also part of a set of courses that I teach. So, right. Yeah. Very excited about it. Good. So it is a guide as much as a, like a, a case study set. That's right. Yes. Good. Okay, great. So again, I'll make sure the link is on the webpage so people can find out more about it um, or go presumably straight to Amazon. It'll be there. Yes, absolutely. Good. Excellent. Uh, David, how can we find out more about you and connect with you? You can email me, david at agileworks.com. That's A-G-I-L-E dash W-O-R-X.com. And of course, my website, uh, agileworks.com. Again, that's A-G-I-L-E dash W-O-R-X.com. And uh, you can also connect with me on Twitter, uh, uh, David Anth Bishop, D-A-V-I-D-A-N-T-H-B-I-S-H-O-P. And I'm also, uh, Agileworks also has... Uh, uh, we have uh, accounts on Instagram and, and Pinterest and also on Twitter. Uh, but you can connect with me personally on Twitter or through email uh, or also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a good place as well. So you can, you'll find me there. Great. David, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it. 
Hi, Phil here again. Now, if you thought about being a guest on the show yourself, or you have somebody in mind that might be a good guest, please do let me know. You can reach me on Twitter, where I'm at PhilTechCareer, or you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can even contact me through the website, which is itcareerenergizer.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.